starts out with a word, therefore. In the New King James, therefore is translated then. And the New American Standard has the word therefore. And the first word is an imperative command, which means to see. And when that word is in an imperative, it means to beware. Beware. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Father, today we're asking you, Lord, to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Lord, we ask you today that you might enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Lord, that we might know the exceeding greatness of your power that's toward us who believe. In accordance with your mighty power, which you raised when you raised Christ from the dead, And Father, grant us to know the hope of our calling. Father, we ask today that you would give us practical application from this paragraph that would change the way we think, change the way we act, change the way we listen. Father, I pray that you might give us wisdom. I pray that you would give us understanding to know your will. Father, I'm asking today that you would give your church, your believers at North Valley Bible Church, that God, that you would grant to us open doors for your word. God, that you would give us insight and wisdom to know when those opportunities come and how to seize upon them. Lord, I'm asking you today, God, that we would go out of here spirit-filled and God, moment by moment, we would learn the principles of maintaining that spirit-filled life. God, this passage, this paragraph is transforming if we will get a hold of it today. So write it on the fleshly tablets of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm glad to see our front rows are starting to to fill up a little bit. I purposely pulled my pulpit back so you wouldn't feel like you were under my fire today. (laughs) Um, But if you have attention deficit disorder, come on, move down. Mrs. Kine saying, yeah, but she's, she's, she's good. She's in the middle there. She's more toward the front. Um, I'm going to have to dig through my notes here to find them. 
So just be patient with me. If I had to take this passage and boil it down to one kernel thought, it would be, children, you're dismissed for children's church. <laughs> I just realized I forgot that. <laughs> They've already left. Okay. All right. That's been taken care of. If I had to just take and find what is the kernel eternal nugget that I want to hold on to, that I want you to hold on to, when you walk away today, and it would be simple. How do I make my life count for Jesus? How do I do that? How do I make my life significant to count for all eternity? Two simple things that Paul tells us to do here to make your life count. One, be alert, be awake circumspectly word that we don't very much don't use a whole lot today do we and I'll, I'll go into what that word means but it basically means to be alert to be spiritually to have your senses in tune the other thing that Paul says is believers need to be spirit filled if we do those things those two simple things if I am living out my life with spiritual sensibility, spiritual awakeness, spiritual alertness, and I am walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, one, I will recognize opportunities when they come to me, and I'll know how to capitalize on them. I have a, a, a dear friend, Tracy and I do, and this, this friend is literally doing everything within her power to redeem the time, to make the most out of every day that she has, because she's been given a sentence of five to seven months life expectancy. I think as believers, we need to understand the brevity of life and also the brevity of opportunities, that they are rare and they come at only certain seasons, and when they are missed, they're gone. You can't buy them back. And that's why Paul exhorts us here to buy up the time. Make the most of the moments that you have. Well, this friend, her husband, has been journaling her thoughts and her prayers. And I just want to read a short little paragraph that she wrote that he wrote for her. God has written the next chapter of my life, and so far it involves more cancer, possibly my left femur, my tricep, and maybe the last spot that was radiated. We've agreed that we will do no more treatment that will bring on sickness and the loss of hair, only to prolong a few more weeks. My prognosis is five to seven months. God has prepared me for this moment for the last two years. Even this morning, when I opened up his word, he directed me to Revelation chapter 12, 
Wherever the believers who overcome do so by the blood of Christ and by their testimony, and they do not love their lives even when faced to death. God has given me incredible grace in the moment. When time is precious, make it matter. Diana Spence. Spends her time coloring detailed pages in scripture coloring books. A page and a letter for each grandchild. Hoping and praying that they will be ready, that they will be faithful, and they will withstand in the evil day. Make your life count for Jesus. Sorry for the somber introduction. Um, but this is a somber passage, isn't it? It starts out with an imperative command. So then. Those are powerful little words. It's a command to take notice, to see then that you walk circumspectly, not as unwise but as wise, because the days are evil, making the most of every opportunity buying up the time, being spiritually diligent, we will make the most of every opportunity we have. Paul starts out with the words, see then. The New American Standard says, therefore, because of all that I've just said, be careful how you walk. Walk in a circumspect manner. Because of everything that I've just told you, and so let's just kind of review last Sunday. What did Paul tell them? He told them that they were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Because of that truth, see then that you walk circumspectly. Because now you are light in the Lord. That's what Christ does for you and I. We are called to the light. And Jesus himself is the light of the world. And when we follow him, we are no longer walking in darkness, but we have the light of life. See then that you walk circumspectly. Live out your life accurately. We can't afford to waste time with the fruitful, I'm sorry, the unfruitful patterns of our past. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. That's what we used to be. So then walk circumspectly. We are to expose as light bearers. That's our job. How do we do that? We do it by walking circumspectly. We agree that those things were shameful. Light reveals and it gives answer. Light brings about conviction and it convinces of truth. Everything that is light exposes. Awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you life. See then that you walk circumspectly. You see how it fits into this context? Paul is telling us that we have an incredible responsibility as followers of Jesus and we are to walk circumspectly. This word walk has been repeated four times now in Ephesians, starting with Ephesians 
Therefore, we are told to walk worthy of our calling. 424 says, don't walk as other Gentiles walk. 5.1 says, walk in love as Christ also loved us. And now we are told to walk in a circumspect way. This is practical living for the Christian life. Circumspectly, what does that word mean? Some translations have the word carefully. It means exact. It means accurate. It means taking close account of details. As a believer, we are not to walk through life haphazardly, carelessly, presumptuously. Every day is a precious gift. What has God entrusted for my life today? And I need to walk circumspectly, accurately, carefully. The word is used in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 and verse 3, where Paul or Luke writes that he carefully investigated everything from the beginning in order that he might write down an accurate account to most excellent Theophilus. So Luke, as a historian, was concerned about every single detail a perfect understanding, an accurate understanding, a careful understanding investigated for the purpose of enlightening a friend named Theophilus. How much more for you and I to live out our life in front of a lost world that we would walk accurately, meticulously, watching every... Okay. Mic down. Okay, everybody's awake. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We're not to walk unwisely. We're to walk circumspectly. The word unwisely means rashly. Think of how many opportunities we spoil when you and I are rash. We make quick decisions. We act on our impulses. We react according to our flesh. That's what that word means, unwise, rash with our words, spontaneous in our actions that are not thoughtful, not purposeful, without eternity in view. That's what it means to be unwise. And then the other side is wise. 1 Corinthians 3.10 really kind of tells us what it means to live out our life in a wise manner. Paul says in that passage, he says, according to the grace given me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Paul was wise in what he did. He was accurate in what he did. He was precise and he thought it through. What's going to be the lasting evidence that I was in the city of Corinth? I am going to, as a wise master builder, lay the foundation in a solid way so that my efforts continue to reap years and years after me so that people could come after him and build on that foundation. And then he uses the same word, see how then you build. Be circumspect. By doing these things, the passage tells us that we will be redeeming the time. See then, be careful how you walk accurately, not as unwise, not as rash, not as people who just act in their emotions, but people who are wise, meticulous, laying a foundation, a wise master builder, and in so doing, verse 16, you will be ex agorizomai. The agora was the marketplace in the Greek culture. 
And it literally means to go and to buy out and to make it your own. Buy up the time and say, this is precious to me. It's valuable. And I'm going to make every opportunity count. The word for opportunity or the word for time in the King James, New King James, many other translations actually say, buy up the opportunities. Because literally that's kind of what the idea is for this word, chiron. It means seasons of time. And when things are just aligned perfectly, you know, a farmer, he knows there is a season for planting. And if that season is missed because you've got too much water, the field's not prepared, it's gone. And that's Paul's idea here. Buy up the opportunity because those will perish and they will go quickly. Every tick of the clock records the ever-lessening opportunities of life. Time is in perpetual motion. It's like a strong, ever-flowing river, and it's bearing its way everything to the boundless ocean of eternity. We never know the value of time and we till until we know the value of every fragment of it into which it's broken up. So in order for me to make the most of every single day, I need to make the most out of every single hour. And to make the most out of every single hour, I need to make the most out of every single minute. Now, I've been under conviction a lot this week from studying this because a lot of my time is not very fruitful. And I'm trying to ask myself, Patrick, how can you use this time to further God's kingdom? Now, I don't want us just to be these introspective people that are, you know, that, that are just almost uh, dumbed down or, or paralyzed, I guess would be a better word, to where we just can't function. But I, I do think it's important for us to say, how do I want to use this day to accomplish something for the Lord's work? If we don't have that mindset, nothing will happen. And Paul says we need to walk accurately, think out, plan out. I've started to write out a to-do list. I do that often, and then I get back, backslide, I stop doing it. And those are the times when I waste time. When I look at my to-do list at the end of the week, I say, I've accomplished this, I've done this, I've met with that person, I prayed for this situation. That's when I am making the most of my time. That's what it means to be a wise master builder. That's what it means to be wise and not unwise. That's what it means to be circumspectly, to be accurate, to be precise, to think things through, and to be careful about how you live. And then Paul gives us one last phrase, and I don't know if it could be more, oper more apropos today than it was when Paul wrote it. I'm not sure. Because he says, because the days are evil. We're living, I think, in the last days of the last days. Unparalleled things that are happening in the United States of America, globally, with the course of government that we have right now, the mandates that are going around, the, the, the political turmoil, the division in our country, the, the, the movement toward one world religion. We have got to make every moment count. We've got to take every opportunity we can to preach and to share Jesus Christ because we are the light of the world and we are living in evil days. So by walking carefully, we make the most out of every opportunity that comes 
into our path. This week, I was given an opportunity to spend some time with a lost guy, lost man, lost friend. And I meditated and I prayed and I prayed on this. I said, God, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. I want to be careful and accurate in every word that comes out of my mouth. God, I want to listen to him and his conversation. God, help me as a wise master builder to be able to turn this conversation towards spiritual things. Yesterday, as we were running together on the canal road up above 9th Street, he had no idea, but I was putting my armor on, and I was suiting up, and I was putting on my feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then there was just this little statement that he said, and the conversation then went toward biblical things. We were talking about, oh, I think it was talking about the just... Um, the vote that was going to come up in, in, on this, this bill uh, that was going to, you know, just tank our economy and inflation is going to go through the roof and all this. And I thought, wow, okay, let's start talking about Christ. Let's start talking about Jesus. Let's talk, start talking about our trust and our hope in Him. And so for the next 45 minutes, all we talked about was spiritual things. And he was of the persuasion that, you know what, everybody has some kind of faith and everybody's going to make it and everybody's... And, and then I had the opportunity to share with him Acts 4.12. Of course, I didn't say it was Acts 4.12, but I sort of paraphrased it, neither salvation in any other, for no other name under heaven is given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, there's probably a lot more I could have said, but I knew that this was an opportune time that God had given me this little bit of season for a short period. I was only going to be with him for this seven-mile run. I made sure that he was way out of breath every hill so I could do all the talking. <laughs> but we are next, he says, after walking circumspectly, he says, walk with understanding. That redeems the time. Let's look at verse 17. And it starts out with the word therefore, but it's in the, in the Greek it's neuter. It's diatautu. It's because, and the neuter means because of this principle, because of the principle that opportunities are only come every so often. Because you need to be careful and accurate and, and, and specific about the way you live out your life, and because you are light, and because wise persons, they, they think about what, what the, what's the end result is. And Paul, like a wise master builder, says, I'm going to lay the foundation. I'm going to make it solid so that other people can come and build on this. He says, see then therefore, or because of this principle, do not be foolish, but, and it's the strongest, con uh, con boy, I am having trouble with words this morning. We all know what I'm talking about. It's, a, it's the word but. It, it's, a, it's just the opposite of and. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Man, I'm going to have to start eating a better breakfast or something. But as those who understand what the will of the Lord is. To understand means to discern, it means to perceive. Now, the will of the Lord is, a, is, is kind of a broad statement, isn't it? The will of the Lord. Now, God has his decreed will. And it will never change. God is sovereign. But look what he tells us to do here. 
I can be in step with God or I can be out of step with God. But I can't thwart God's will. If I get out of step with God's will, he has already decreed and determined what's going to happen if I get out of his will. Does that mean that God decrees and determines my bad choices? Absolutely not. It means God is sovereign and God is in control, but he is also in his sovereignty given you and I free will so as you and I can determine what we will choose. But in God's wisdom and his predestination, he says, if you choose this, this is what's going to happen. He has predestined everybody who is in Christ to be holy and blameless and to be conformed to the image of his son. He has predestined everyone who rejects Jesus Christ to be a child of wrath and outside of his love and mercy. So I have a choice. And when I look at this passage, I say, I need to understand. I need to be discerning what the will of the Lord is. And he's already given us a hint in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. He says that we are to test things. Dakimazo, is this thing good? Is it beneficial? Is it a blessing? Is it righteous? Is it fair? Is it equitable? Is it truth? Does it align with God's word? Testing what is acceptable and pleasing to God. I want you to turn over to Philippians chapter 1 and we'll see another way that we can know what is acceptable to God. So it's just one book over. We're in Ephesians 5, so you're not going to have to turn too far to Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Philippians 1, 9 and 10, Paul says, This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Why? That you may approve. There's that same Greek word, dakamazo. So as I grow in my understanding... As I grow in my discernment, as I grow in my wisdom, then I can test the things that are acceptable that I might be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. So if I do those things, those two simple things, I walk accurately and I fill my mind with the Scripture, then you and I will take advantage when those seasons of opportunities come. Second point this morning is being filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to preach a good old Baptist message on abstinence from alcohol from this passage. Let's, let's take the passage as it's read and, and, and as it's given to us, okay? You know, let's don't proof text. I, I don't like it when people go to John chapter 2 and they say, well, you know what? Jesus turned the water to wine and so Christians can, can drink. Now, I, I'm running a rabbit trail, forgive me. But, but that's not the purpose of John chapter 2 at the wedding feast of Cana. It's not a license for Christians to drink. That, that's not why that passage is there. That passage is there to show us a sign and a miracle of who Jesus Christ is so that we might believe in him. He is coming to bring the new wine of new life. It, it, it has nothing to do with saying, okay, this is a license for drinking. And this passage, by the way, is not a, a, a restriction that says no one can drink alcohol. Let, let's understand it because that's not what Paul is doing here. 
What Paul is doing here, he is showing an antithesis. And by the way, I, I don't drink alcohol. I'm not trying to use this as an excuse for me to go out and drink either. There's other passages that we could use that, that just talk about Christian liberty and how, use, how to use Christian liberty. But the Paul here, it's an antithesis for emphasis and for contrast of what it means to be spirit-filled. That's his point. Do not be drunk with wine. And now here's what I'm really saying, and I want to contrast it with what wine can do. Wine can cloud our judgment. Wine can cause us to say things that we shouldn't be saying. Wine can lower our inhibitions in a bad way. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit gives us those inhibitions. I mean, it, it, it restricts those things. It, it causes us not to be impulsive. It causes us to be clear with our words, clear with our thoughts. So he says, and don't be drunk with wine, but be continuously filled by the Holy Spirit. The antithesis is not forbidding alcohol so much as this passage warns us from the dangers of drink. It is used for the purpose of emphasizing what does wine lead to? This passage tells us what it leads to when used in excess. It leads to dissipation. That means prodigal living. It's used in 1 Peter 4, 4 for riotous living, drunken parties, drinking, alcohol to excess. And he says, they will think it strange that you no longer run with them to that same riot of excess. Riot is the word that's used here. So what does wine, what can it lead to? It can lead to a prodigal living, living loosely, uninhibited, lack of restraint, the loss of mental clarity, whereas by walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. Galatians 5.16 The fruit of the Spirit... There are no laws against the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine of them. I can't quote them all, but it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, goodness, kindness, meekness. Thank you. And against these things, there is no law. When you are walking Spirit-filled, you will not be disobeying the Word of God and the will of God. And when you are spirit-filled, you will make the most of every opportunity because your thoughts are clear. Your thoughts are not muddled. You will hold back from things that you shouldn't say. In fact, I was talking with Keith this morning, and a conversation went around to a, to, to a, a prophet of this religion, and he's a false prophet, and, and I almost said something, but I knew he wasn't ready for it. And I knew it would have just shut him down immediately. And so that's why we need the Holy Spirit's restraint. Because sometimes I just like to win an argument. And you can win an argument and lose a soul. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us and to guide us. Wine can cause a stumbling block for an unbeliever. Wine can cause a weaker brother to stumble into sin. Whereas being filled with the Holy Spirit seeks other people's edification. Wine can become a cruel master, Paul says, but the Holy Spirit teaches us to master our sin nature. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, let's just look at how this word is used. It's a present tense word. That means it's something I'm supposed to be doing all the time. It's passive in its voice. In other words, the subject is to be acted upon. By passive, it means 
that I present myself to the Lord. I say, Lord, you take my empty vessel and you fill it with your presence and your thoughts and your mind. And I take the word of God and then I begin to fill myself with God's heart, his thoughts, his ways. Because his ways are not our ways, are they? His thoughts are not our thoughts. I need to be filled by him. And then it's an imperative command. It's something that I'm supposed to do constantly. I'm to constantly allow the Spirit to control. Unlike wine, the Holy Spirit does not dull my senses. It actually heightens them so that you are never more alert, never more keen, never more with eternal perspective and realities when you are controlled by God Himself. Because remember, the Holy Spirit, who is He? He is the very nature and essence of God. God. That's one of the beautiful things about the Trinity. I don't fully understand it, but I know that our God is so immense and so above us, and I know that my God is so personal as a friend that I can know Him and interact with Him. That's why Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and then Jesus Himself said, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. And when, in the book of Acts, they sinned against God, they lied to the Holy Spirit. You and I have God dwelling within us. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body. Praise God for that victory that we have. So being filled by the Spirit, we actually have the mind of Christ. This notion that Spirit-filled Christians are acting out emotionally, irrationally, and mindless chatter couldn't be further from the truth. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that we have not received a spirit of fear, have we? We've received a spirit of power of love, that's a commitment, and of a disciplined sophronos, a mind that is discerning, a mind that judges, a mind that's in total control of itself. That's the Spirit of God that you and I have received. Now, when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm told to continue to receive that Holy Spirit, how do I maintain that? Paul gives us three simple participles to follow that tells us how to maintain that spirit-filled conviction. The first one is by speaking to one another. Have you ever sat down with another Christian? You go to their home or we have the Sunday night fellowship in somebody's house and you just start talking to one another. Something supernatural happens. Tracy keeps asking me, Patrick, how in the world do you go to a prayer meeting at 6.30 and get home at 9 o'clock at night? <laughs> Dennis is back there grinning. And this is why we are speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and we are making melody in our heart to the Lord. It was a couple Sundays ago I made the admission that Oh, I had really trouble getting here to church that day. Just mentally, spiritually, I was just not there. But the minute we began to worship, I don't know if you sense it. I don't know if you are in tune with the Spirit of God. But I know when Caleb and Tracy and Brendan and Kelly over there, when they start worshiping, they invite us to worship, something happens, doesn't it? One time somebody asked me, Patrick, how come you're down there in the front lifting your hand? I don't know. It's God's Spirit. You know what I've been doing since I preached this message? And, and Brendan can testify to this because he doesn't like them. 
But I'll get up in the morning and I'll go over to Mr. Mr. Google or Mrs. Google and I'll say, hey, Google, play this hymn. And I listen to hymns. I listen to God's praise. I, when I'm having a bad day, I go to Spotify. I, I don't listen to any. I, I'll pick out my, my hymns, my worship songs. And brother, let me tell you, you want to be filled with the Spirit? You ask God to fill you? You start worshiping God. And God's presence inhabits the praise of His people. So He tells us how to maintain that. Secondly, thanking God. Whatever your circumstances are. You might have a bad, have a bad day. Somebody may sign something to you that you wish you didn't hear. Somebody may be testing you. You may have a flat tire. I don't know what it is. And amidst, instantly the Holy Spirit starts to be greed because you're starting to lose your temper. You're starting to act out in your flesh. Turn that off and start thanking God. And the Holy Spirit will begin to fill you. Start worshiping Him. Thank God for this flat tire because now I'm going to be late to work and I don't have to listen to so-and-so. Whatever it is. Thank God. Say, Lord, you are doing this for a purpose, a reason. You're developing me. You're, you're honing me. You're making me more like your son. I begin to thank God in everything. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the provider. And he is providentially over all of his creation. So I can thank God. Thank him, God, for everything. The spirit-transforming power changes worship into the image of the one that you and I are worshiping. Let me say that again. The spirit-filled believer is changed when he worships into the very image that he worships. But with all open faces now, it says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I believe it is, it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, that means the veil has been taken off, it's been lifted, we're living it, walking it through the Holy Spirit. We with an open face as in a mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Lastly, we are spirit-filled when we are submitting to one another. Hupo tasso. Tasso means to arrange things in a certain order. Hupo means to put it under. I need to order my life and arrange it under other people. Look not on your own interest, but also on the interests of others. Consider others better than yourselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to be submitting our desires, our will, and ordering it under other people's needs in order to be spirit-filled. Spirit so this morning, the message is so so simple. Opportunities are precious. You don't want to lose them. Oh, there's so many times when I wasn't walking alertly. So many times when I wasn't walking spirit-filled. And I'll end that conversation and I'll be on my drive home and I'll be kicking myself in the backside. I said, oh, Patrick, you should have said this. You shouldn't have turned that into a joke. You shouldn't have just brushed that thing aside. You had the perfect opportunity, and that season is gone. But our God is so good, and our God is so gracious, because you know what I do after when I get home and I do that? I'll just, I'll, I'll repent. I'll tell God I'm sorry, and I'll pray, and I'll say, God, 
Give me another opportunity with that person. And our God is faithful. He answers that prayer. He does those things. Be Spirit-filled. How to be Spirit-filled? You talk to one another. You are asking God to fill you with His thoughts, His mind. You come and you worship. You begin thanking God for every little thing that's happening in your life and every blessing and every good thing that God is doing for you. Then you submit to one another. You will make the most of the opportunities that come to your life this week. Our lives are three score and ten. And if by reason of strength, four score, the days of our lives are numbered. Therefore, teach us that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. I remember a missionary coming back on furlough from the country that he served, and he talked about that verse. He'd been in that foreign country for 40 years. And he talked about his life as if it was a jar filled with marbles. And he said, I've been there for 40 years. And God may only give me five more years. He was already 75 years old. And he was going back to the foreign mission field. And he says, I want these last five years to be the most productive of my entire life. God, that jar, and I kind of envisioned it, that jar was just getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and there was only so many marbles. He says, every one of those marbles represents a day. And every day I'm taking one out. I'm taking another one out. Teach me to number every single one of them so that I might apply my heart to wisdom Take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you. You are in this season of life only once. You may be working someplace, and you might be the only believer that's there. That is the season of life that God has you in. You might be a mother, and you're thinking, oh, I can't wait till these kids get out of the house. Don't think like that. You're only going to have so many days with those children. Pour your heart into them. Disciple them. Teach them. Train them. You might be a father. and You've not been a good father. Number your days. Take those times when your boys start growing up. They start becoming a man. Before you know it, they are out of the house. And that season of life is over. You might be a grandpa or grandma I'm speaking to. You're in this season of life. God has given you special opportunities that you're going to have like nobody else has. Walk accurately. Walk circumspectly. Walk as a wise master builder. Take advantage of those things. Buy up those opportunities. When your grandkids come over to the house, get off the phone. Put the computer away. Those are special times. Don't lose them. We're so inundated with with such media bombardment. And what happens? Opportunities go right past us, don't they? Get invested in people's lives. Get out of your comfort zone. Go places that you don't feel comfortable at. Talk with people that you wouldn't talk to. Go over if your neighbor's outside. Walk over and start a conversation with him. 
Be alert, circumspect followers of Jesus. So then, because you are light, walk of circumspectly. I know I'm not teaching Bible right now. I'm preaching at you. But folks, this is what God wants us to do. He wants to, our lives to count for Jesus, doesn't he? I'm preaching to myself. Yesterday, I, I, I'm not lying. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I swear, and that's what Paul says a lot of times. When that guy sent me the text, he says, do you want to meet me up on Nice Street? I said, no, I don't want to meet you. Because you, you run like a turtle. <laughs> I said, I don't, that's not fun. I said, it, it hurts and it aches. And I want to just, I want to get out there and just belt a good run. I thought, Patrick, repent. This is an incredible opportunity. And thank God I was studying Ephesians 5.15 because I might have made up some kind of lame excuse and said, I got to go at it some other time, but I didn't. I'm just telling you, I'm, on, I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes we just got to do those things that we don't like because those are the opportune times that we need to suck it up and say, yes, Lord, I am the person for this time and for this person this time in life, and I need to do it because this opportunity is not going to come again. And then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Submitting to each other, to his needs, to her needs, to her wants. Thanking God for everything that's going on in your life and speaking to each other in fellowship and in worship. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. Oh God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how precise it is. It's like a surgeon. It is a double-edged sword. It is a discerner of our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. It exposes us. I pray today, God, if you have spoken to us, your people, Lord, help us to apply it day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. We pray this in Jesus' name.